Could you imagine Christmas without roast turkey? Personally, happily. Could you imagine Christmas without a Christmas tree? Possibly. Could you imagine Christmas without presents? It's inconceivable, isn't it? We couldn't imagine Christmas without presents. I mean, certainly not for children, but even as adults, we would struggle with that. I mean, as we get older, we get a bit more joy, I suppose, from giving presents than receiving them. But prezies are still very much right at the heart of what Christmas is all about. This idea that Christmas is a time for giving and receiving, it actually goes all the way back to the very, very first Christmas. So inside your sheets is a little white insert, uh, headed the greatest gift. And in the grey box, in the form of a Christmas tree, is a verse from the Bible taken from John's Gospel, so the same uh, book that we just had that reading from. And it says this, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The first Christmas celebrated the greatest gift ever. Imagine if for Christmas this year you were given an octagon diamond. So an octagon diamond has eight sides, 58 facets, exceptional sparkle, elegant shape, very expensive. Imagine finding that at the bottom of your stocking instead of a squash tangerine. Well, God's gift to us is like that diamond. We're going to spend a few minutes just turning it around and looking at these eight sides and watching it sparkle. Number one, it was a divine gift. So divine in the sense that it was from God. So the verse there says, God so loved the world that he gave. When we open our presents at Christmas, invariably there's a little um, tag, a little sticker saying who it's from. This gift was from God himself. Gift wrapped in swaddling cloths. And the very fact of who it is from, it should make us sit up and it should make us take notice. Now actually everything we have is from God the creator, ultimately, but this was an extra special, extraordinary gift from God. Number two, it was a personal gift. Personal in the sense that the gift wasn't a thing, but a person. So it wasn't a gadget in a box, but a baby in a manger. So the verse says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. There's one God, the Bible says, but he's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That first Christmas, the Son of God took on human flesh and became man incarnate. So at the heart of Christmas is a person. And that's why we call the festival Christ Mass. And at the heart of Christianity is a person. And that's why it's called Christianity. Maybe you have someone on your team at work who, who thinks that they are God's gift. Jesus really was. Scientists tell us that 13 billion years ago, give or take, the universe was smaller than a grain of sand, and yet now is infinite or unimaginably big. 
With God's gift, the process was in reverse. So the infinite Son of God came to dwell in a tiny cell in a mother's womb. Third, it was a historical gift. So God giving the Son happened at a point in time, at a place. So in the town of Bethlehem, in the land of Israel, roughly 20, 23 years ago. Today's date, a constant reminder that God's gift was historical. I was in the bookshop in uh, the wharf the other day, and uh, they're helpful signs, aren't there? Which, um, uh, above different sections, so you know where to look for the book that you're after. So there's new titles, there's travel writing, there's fiction, there's children's stuff, there's sci-fi, there's history, there's fantasy, there's crime, there's sport, and so on. Now the question is this, which section would you look in for God's gift to us? Well, it's definitely not a new title. I mean, it's been around for 2,000 years. It certainly is a bestseller. So the story of God's gift is in a book, which is the most published book ever, bar none. Some assume it belongs in the children's section, but a skim through one of the gospel accounts would quickly dispel that notion. The virgin birth is followed by a genocide of children, leading on to the betrayal, the torture, and the execution of the main character. It's strong stuff, isn't it? It's not exactly Peter Rabbit. Others assume it belongs in the fantasy or fiction section, but the the witness of history says otherwise. God's gift is about a real person, a real event, which was clearly foretold and carefully recorded. It can be explored, it can be investigated. It's not fantasy, but history. It's not fiction, it's fact. Fourth, it was a loving gift. Why did God bother? Well, the verse says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Some people claim we live in an empty, purposeless universe, which is indifferent to our suffering. But the first Christmas says, we don't. It says God is there. And God loves us so much that he gave us the greatest gift ever. It's as if on the big toe of that baby in Bethlehem, there hung a gift tag. And on the gift tag was written, to humanity, from God, with much love. Apparently the third most googled question about God is, why does God hate me? How desperately sad that so many people feel that God hates them. God's gift to us that first Christmas says the very opposite. It says, this is how much I love you. God so loved the world that he gave. And when that Christmas child, a few years later, had grown to be a man, hanging on a cross with his arms stretched out, the volume of God's declaration of love was was turned up to the max. As he said, this is how much I love you. God gave his son not just to live among us, but to die for us. As one verse puts it, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. Number five, it was a unique gift. Christmas gifts tend not to be unique. The 143-piece screwdriver set, it may be amazing, but there are thousands and thousands of these things out there available online. But this gift was utterly unique. It says, he gave his only son. Never been a gift like it, never will be again. One-off gift for all time. The gift was unique, and so was the way in which the gift was given. The Son of God became flesh, born of a virgin, what the writer C.S. Lewis called the grand miracle. He wrote this, he said, What is beyond all space and time, what is uncreated, eternal, came into nature, into human nature, descended into his own universe, and rose again. And Lewis pictures this unique event as, as he describes it as a diver stripped off, uh, sorry, stripping off garment after garment, making himself naked, and then down through the green and warm and sunlit water into the pitch black, cold, freezing water, down into the mud and slime, and then up again, his lungs almost bursting back again to the green and warm and sunlit water, and then at last out into the sunshine, holding in his hand the dripping thing he went down to get. Well, we are that dripping thing. Six, it was a costly gift. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave his son to live among us, but also to die for us. Now that was very costly. It was costly for God the Father. It was costly for God the Son. You ever had a Christmas gift on which someone has left the sticker by mistake saying what price it was? People do it, don't they? Because they want you to know how much it costs them. Well, what price sticker do you think would be on this gift from God? Some of the great works of art owned by Museums around the world are considered priceless, aren't they? Van Gogh's Starry Night, Cezanne's The Large Bathers, Da Vinci's Mona Lisa. Well, how much more so with this gift from God? Priceless, <coughs> invaluable. Seven, it was a lasting gift. Many Christmas toys hardly make it to the end of Boxing Day, never mind to New Year. They get discarded, either because the kids got bored or because the toy has got broken. But they they don't last. They're not designed to. I mean, there's actually something, isn't there? Production in the modern world is is plagued by something called planned obsolescence. You know, manufacturers, they, they deliberately design products, don't they, that will fail. So you have to buy another, or you have to get an upgrade. So things don't last. They're not designed to last. But God's gift here is different. It does last. It was designed to last, not just for years, but forever. Not just for life, but for eternity. It says he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So that's what we get through the son. Eternal life is about quantity and quality. So it's life that goes on forever with God beyond the grave, 
quantity, but it's also life in relationship with God, which is what we were designed for, quality. And lastly, number eight, it was an essential gift. Christmas gifts are not supposed to be essentials. They're supposed to be little luxuries, isn't that the point? So, you know, if for Christmas this year you get given a carton of milk and a loaf of bread, you'd be a little bit disappointed because, you know, Christmas presents are supposed to be special. It's supposed to be, you know, little luxuries, not essentials. Not socks, not basic food supplies. But God's gift is essential. It's not a little luxury we can sort of happily do without. It says he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Apart from this gift, our destiny, it says, is to perish. And to perish means to die, physically and eternally, alienated from God. It is through God's gift of Jesus that we can escape this fate. It is through him that instead of perishing, we can have eternal life. So this gift is not a little gimmick, it's not a little luxury, it's essential. I was reading about a girl called Beatrix. Uh, She's a two-year-old girl who had spent most of her life so far in hospital in Newcastle, connected up to a mechanical heart. Her family were praying for a miracle. And a few weeks ago, it happened. They got a call to say that a donor had finally been found. And after 10 hours of heart transplant surgery, Beatrix is now back home. What a Christmas present for a family. You see, to someone who is dying, a heart transplant is a necessary gift. And God's gift to us is more like a heart transplant than a box of Lindor chocolates. It is a gift we badly need. It is necessary. It is essential. Now, centuries before God gave us his son, he gave the gift of his law through Moses, summed up in the Ten Commandments. And some people might say, well, do you know what? That gift is enough. We don't need the son. We know how to live. We'll just get on with that. But the point of God's law is not to cure us. It can't do that. It doesn't have the power. All it can do is tell us that we are sick. So last weekend I went down with a a nasty bug and I was throwing up through the night and then I took my temperature and it was, you know, 39.4 and, you know, I felt pretty grim. But to get better, I didn't then eat the thermometer. The thermometer tells me I'm sick can't make me well. It's the same with God's law. That God's law, it can show us that we are sick and we don't keep these commands to love God and love others. It can't cure us. For that we need God's gift of his son. The son is the doctor. He's the healer. He's the saviour that we need. Well, what a gift. No wonder one verse in the Bible describes it as, um, it says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So it's astonishing. Divine, personal, historical, loving, unique, costly, lasting, essential. Christmas is a time for giving. 
for remembering God's amazing gift to us. But it's also a time for receiving. So the verse says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. When someone gives us a gift, what do we do? We receive it. We say thank you. And it's no different with this gift from God. To believe in the Son means to receive him. And in fact, we had that in the reading just now in John chapter 1, verse 12. It said of Jesus, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name. So believing in Jesus doesn't just mean accepting he was a historical person. It doesn't just mean accepting that he was the Son of God. It doesn't just mean accepting that he died for our wrongdoing. It is all of that, but it's more. It's receiving him. Personally. As a gift for me. A gift that I need. It's thanking God personally for him. Receiving him as the rescuer who died for me. And starting to live with him as the ruler who was raised to rule over me. And if we do receive him, we get, it says, eternal life. And with that life, a whole host of other benefits thrown in. Most amazing Christmas bundle. We become children of God. We receive forgiveness of sins. God the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. We get a sure hope for the future. Have you ever refused a gift at Christmas time? You ever said, that's kind, but it's all right, don't bother. I I won't, if that's all right with you. Keep it. Would be an odd response. It would be an awkward moment, wouldn't it, on Christmas Day? So why do we do that with God? Why don't we receive the gift that he has given us? Perhaps we find it too humbling. When we're kids, we happily receive gifts, don't we? Because we've got no money. But as adults, we got loads of money. We earn, we buy. We're now the ones who give gifts. And sure, we don't mind getting sort of little gifts for Christmas, but, you know, if it's something really, really big, we want to pay for it. Things don't get much bigger, do they, than eternal life. So we may feel... We want to pay for it. We don't want to be given it as a gift. In fact, someone who recently became a Christian said to me just the other week, they said, it felt like too big a gift to just receive without doing anything. But we need to become like little kids again. Because spiritually, we ain't got the money to pay for this. So we may find it too humbling, or we may find it offensive as a gift, Some gifts are offensive. I mean, if for Christmas this year someone gives you a year's supply of deodorant, uh, you'd be offended by that, wouldn't you? It's not a very subtle hint that your personal hygiene can maybe do with some attention. This gift from God's a little bit like that. It's saying we need Jesus to rescue us. It's saying we need forgiveness through him. It's saying without him we'll die eternally. I mean, it's not very subtle, is it? It's hard to hear. But if God reckons this is what we need then maybe it's best not to ignore it. Or a final reason people don't receive the gift is that they maybe find it too unbelievable. Just don't think it's for real. But if so, that is worth checking out. 
You know, look at the evidence over on the table there. Lots of free resources for you to browse and take away. You know, read one of the gospel accounts. Read it. There's a little book there called Is Christmas Believable? Have a read of that. Take a closer look. Why not sign up? We've got a course called Hope Explored beginning in the new year. So those are three reasons why some people don't receive the gift. But others do. Others do. And the gift is offered to us again afresh this Christmas time. The point of God's gift is not just that we know about it, not just that we understand it, but that we receive it. So as we open our Christmas presents this year, why not pause and just ask ourselves, what have I done with the greatest gift ever? Have I received it? And if not, why not? What's stopping me? And what am I going to do about that? These are important questions. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, Christianity, if false is of no importance, and if true, is of infinite importance, the only thing it cannot be is moderately important. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life.